0: Welcome to the launch episode of DevX, our one-of-a-kind podcast that is dedicated to the social sector. Now, the entire goal or focus of this podcast, when we when we conceptualized it, was really to help each and every one of us in the social sector on our growth and, and fundraising journeys. So on this podcast, we will be speaking to CSRs and other donors in-depth, so that we may understand really what it takes to work with them in an applicable and actionable way. Yeah, uh, we may also speak to rockstar fundraising organizations so that we can, you know, really learn their secrets and and find out what makes them amazing fundraisers. Now, having said that, this is not going to be a very formal and serious show. I think the sector has way too much formality and seriousness already. So we're going to try and keep it more fun, more conversational. Uh, real conversations with real people that matter, uh, over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Yeah. So think of it as fun with funding. right? Now our first guest, having said that, our first guest at our launch episode is truly truly a CSR veteran. She has set up what is now one of India's biggest CSR foundations and led it for over 22 years now. They work in 12 states and across 53 districts of the country and they transform the lives of rural India in the most fundamental, positive and meaningful ways. I am also fortunate to call uh, her a friend and a valued advisor to Deva. Uh, she's also easily easily one of my favorite people in the, in the social sector. So without any further delay, I would love to welcome Mrs. Pearl Tiwari, CEO of Ambuja Cement Foundation. Uh, Welcome Pearl, thank you so much for for joining us and literally launching uh, DevX.
1: Thank you Varda and I don't know what to say, oh my God, these are two warm, uh, you know, uh, words and an introduction, but I'm delighted to be your first guest and be here with you to launch this uh, podcast.
0: (coughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much Pearl. So so let's jump right into it. So, For the people listening in, why don't you quickly introduce uh, Ambuja Cement Foundation from from your vantage point. Tell us about your work, what is it that you do, what are the areas that you focus on. Just introduce Ambuja Cement Foundation for us.
1: So we were started, the Ambuja Foundation was started as a corporate foundation by Ambuja Cement way back, uh, you know, almost 25 years ago. um, Precisely because the kind of geographies in which Ambuja Cement gets its permission to do its mining and to set up its plant, are so back of the beyond that there is a huge population who gets impacted both positively and negatively once uh, the plant starts there the idea that the founder management had was that if we want to be in business long term if we want to really make sure that as we grow in business people around us also prosper so they see us as uh, you know the right kind of people in their backyard uh, the only way to do that, they thought, was direct community engagement. And uh, uh, luckily, the visionary uh, management also believed that this needed a core set of skills. So this is not something that can be relegated to, uh, you know, some philanthropic-minded uh, engineer from the plant, but has a set of skills for community engagement that is required. And that is how we came into being. Um From the very beginning, we, because we had the professional approach, we were developing people, we believed that the way to do things is to actually primarily find out what is really needed to be done. And that's where we brought in this whole approach of needs assessment, looking at what was required. Started at one plant, which was our mother plant in Kodinar to begin with discovered a big problem in water and salinity ingress there. Uh, of course, like all others, we went in thinking we will start a mobile van and you know, you'll know health and all of that. But we realized that water was key and that's been a huge learning for us over a period of time. So, we we really focus everything on livelihoods today. Uh, today, we are a focus across every one of Ambuja's plants, working on water, livelihoods, whether it's agro-based, looking at skill training, working a lot with women. We do believe that women can be fantastic change agents, and working with them uh, through a traditional mode, but also bringing them into large federations, uh, and making sure that healthcare is one of our important verticals. So these are some of the things that we really do today across Ambuja's geographies, and now luckily across many others as well.
0: That's that's wonderful. So so some of the beautiful things I picked up there is uh, way 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 before the CSR law even was. Out of you already had a very realistic, pragmatic point of view of hey, we are doing good, but we're also, we are also there is there are things we need to offset, okay, which is which is a natural byproduct of the work that we do, and and you took a very very holistic uh, view of it. So I heard water because I think water is a core catalytic, catalytic agent, is how you see it. it. It offshoots into so many different things. And um, tell us a little bit about that because I know you have a special focus on water. So what are the the kind of domino effects of of the work. Why why is water so important?
1: Yeah, thanks Vardha for that. Actually, we discovered this because we entered into Saurashtra which had either cyclical droughts or I mean the quality of water was bad, the quantity of water was a problem and all that in the early 90s and we realized that you know, um, um, while you know most of us believe that and I'm not taking away from education or health or any of that. I know those are very, very important trust areas. But there is an inherent belief in, belief in most people that, you know, if you solve for education, you solve for everything. What we've discovered is, if you in rural India, if you solve for water, a lot of other things fall into place. And we've seen this happen. We've seen communities transform. Because when there is no water, what are people doing? I mean, first of all, health is at stake. In, in Saurashtra, for example, we had several um, people falling into the kidney diseases because of salinity ingress. We had tremendous waterborne uh, diseases in the area so there was a health problem. Agriculture was at an all-time low. Today that is one of the most fertile areas we have in Gujarat because we've solved for water. So between salinity, quantity, uh conservation and of course then working with the community to mention uh, to to mention to them that if we conserve water we've also got to be judicious in the way we use it so both the supply and demand management of water is what we brought in and that like you rightly said has directly led into not just health but into livelihoods today i'm so proud that those communities where we've solved for water are taking three to four crops a year from that one rain fed crop that they were taking earlier. And because of that, today women are not ferrying water. So women are doing something far more productive. We are able to get them into micro enterprises. We have every child in education. The girl child doesn't need to walk with the mother to get water for the family and the cattle. She's doing because water has been solved for. So for us, and today I'm very happy that all over the world, in fact, water sustainability is being seen as a very, very critical issue. I don't believe there's a single place in India where there's no problem with water. You may have a high water table, but is the quality right? Are people using it right? We are going to be in a tremendously difficult situation if we don't work with behavior change of the way we're using water. So for us water is key and we believe that everything else interlinks with it. But what you also said that I liked very much is that this was way before the CSR came into being and neither did we use these buzzwords of CSR or sustainability. But what we meant was just that long-term business is sustainability, community engagement is good social responsibility. So we did all of this then without really having all these buzzwords in our, uh, you know, in our parlance. Uh, but today we are very happy that we, we've, we've been able to transform a lot of the communities that we work in.
0: Absolutely, language can follow, you know, the intent is what what sets the, the course. And, and you know, what I really like though, When you speak of buzzwords, there's a buzz visual that you just shattered with something that you said that women are no longer ferrying water. To me, that is that visual of women carrying the matka on the head or on the side is something that is so associated with rural India. Not just in India, but everywhere across the world, you know, it's that and that they're not doing it anymore. Wow, kudos. So, uh, Pearl, having having focused on that. Now, let me... uh, refocus okay? because it is not just water, I know for a fact that not only domino effect but you work in definitely water, you work in skilling, you work in women empowerment directly, you have health programs that are phenomenal again the health program that you have predates the ASHA uh, program of the government and is very very much along the lines of that so you're doing actually uh, we're working in half dozen areas which are super critical to, to rural India. So tell me so tell me, that's what you've evolved over let's say the last two and a half decades of work. What is the future of Ambuja Cement Foundation like? What is your vision? Where are you going to
1: work? So for us uh, now we have the models in place like you rightly said you know whether it's health through our frontline sakis, or whether it's water mm. uh, through community participation and contribution and of course the committees we formed. Um, or whether it is working with women and you know moving them from self-help groups to federations where they're not just looking at uh, micro enterprise and economics that they are but also at bringing about some amazing social reforms which as outsiders we could not have done. We have a lot of models in place. We do believe that this Mm. is consistent work wherever you do it for rural development. You can't see quick solutions, you can't think that you're going to solve for water in one season or in three seasons or you're going to solve for getting all the women together in a year it takes a lot of time but consistently working on this we believe we've created the models that are necessary for scale for replication we are very very open to sharing what we have learned with anybody and everybody and uh, what we've done is that so the future i see is that we want to do more of this we are in a sense uh you know uh Believing that there's so much more to be done in India because and I don't know whether we want to call ourselves nationalists but we do believe that you know India needs a lot more of this and uh, there, I'm I'm also acutely aware that there are many others doing great work but we do believe that our models are replicable they are sustainable uh, through the approach we've made sure that we in every project we do whichever thrust we take we have people's institutions formed So they are the ones who handle the project long term over a period of time whether they are peer educators of the uh, health uh, uh, HIV program or whether they are sathees for health or whether they are watershed committee or federations of women or other drama producer organizations. All of these are really taking care of the work over a period of time. So what they are looking at is actively building building partnerships with other people who want to do this in their geography and have offered ourselves quite openly now again thanks to the visionary board that we have which allowed us to do that and move out of Ambuja's geographies and said that if you get other people inviting you to implement what you've been able to do in your 17-18 geographies please go ahead and do it so we've built those partnerships that's one big way to go the other one is that the whole world is talking about climate change we are actively looking at how does our work create climate at- adaptation for our communities. Climate change is there to stay. India is one of the impacted countries. So while you can think about, you know, in future, uh, doing, you know, bringing down carbon and all that, it's all fantastic, but we are already in distress um, with the way the vagaries Absolutely. of the monsoon or the extreme weather or the pest attacks or whatever we may call it. So we are bringing into all our verticals Especially with water, agriculture, pesticide use, this whole business of climate adaptation. How do we teach our farmer to adapt to what is already happening? Those are going to be things going forward. Besides, of course, use of technology, which we realize is going to help us to scale. These are some of the big ones that I can think of uh, that we would see in the future, near future.
0: Awesome. So on on your behalf, I would also like to share something with uh, viewers and listeners that it is actually one of the most altruistic things that I have seen an organization do, even though you're a social impact organization, uh, where you've taken the last you know, two, two and a half decades of experience, of mistakes that you've made, of learnings that you've had, of best practices, and actually brought that together and with no selfish intent, into uh, the knowledge repository toolkit that that uh, Abuja Cement Foundation created, which is such a fabulous, it's a blueprint it's a paint by numbers playbook for anybody willing or any organization wanting to work in rural india in any of these areas whether it is health whether it is water whether it is skilling whether it is women empowerment uh, whether it is agri any of these areas a proper how to what to do what not to do how to engage communities a 360 degree uh, playbook on that so anybody i think uh, it's it's a document that is worth its weight in gold uh, I think anybody in rural India working in these spaces, it's a fantastic uh, learning document, it's a fantastic workbook. Uh, so so Pearl, well, uh, that's just something I wanted to do because that's very much along the lines of what you were talking about. So on your behalf, I would just like to say that if anybody wants to reach out, Ambuja Cement Foundation is more than happy beyond the, the written form to also assist, support, guide, uh, people who are looking to make impact in these spaces. Yes, I right yes you are. Right? I, I must you that what
1: has also worked for us through this knowledge repository to, toolkit is that because we have expanded in the last five years from 17 to now 53 different districts, the, uh, we've had to take in a lot of wow. staff, uh, new staff to be able to front this, these projects and all the newer geographies. and. You know, this is really a toolkit that we use to make sure that we have standardized processes all over. So anybody who joins and is, uh, you know, uh, let's say joins in the skill vertical or joins in the health vertical or wherever it may be is made to go through this in great detail so that we manage the model the way it was meant to be managed and we replicate it exactly. Of course, keeping um, keeping in mind the um, modifications that may be required uh, in different geographies, and and that's something that you know since we recruit only people from the development sector, I mean people already come with the knowledge of so that's that's again uh, something we've used quite actively.
0: When it comes to yeah. that, I love to always quote Winston Churchill, who said, "India is as much a country as the equator." <laughs> uh, now yeah. that brings me, however, Pearl, to another very uh, interesting point. While we have talked about qualitative aspects, we've talked about programs, we've talked about communities. Let's add the layer of scale and volume and size to our conversation because that's something that most people do not know about. Now Ambuja Cement Foundation, the scale at which you operate in terms of your investments in in the community and in in rural India itself is been Uh, I think uh, 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 about a year and a half or a couple of years ago, you were at about uh, about one hundred and thirty cr, and then last year you were at about one hundred and sixty-five cr, is what you touched uh, in terms of investments, and and that is astounding. One hundred and sixty-five crores uh, being managed and being deployed into the communities. How do you manage that? I just want, want to it?
1: add to that. But this year we are almost now at the end of this year, right? This year we are going to be on about two hundred and seventeen. So it's again an exponential increase. Yeah. So that is purely
0: exponential, is the word. I just like to come in and say here, yeah, this sounds like. This doesn't sound like a social sector story, this sounds like a startup story. You're you're growing at about like 30% year on year on a base of 200 crores. How do you do that? How does that happen?
1: I think, so we are not, to be honest, we are not chasing funds. We are not fundraising. Yeah, but we believe, like I said, that these are models that can be scaled across many geographies. Now, we can take pride in saying that we are in more than three and a half thousand villages, but there are 600,000 villages in India. So what is scale? I mean, you know, the scale is a, to- is a topic that we can debate in the social sector. And I'd really like to believe that we are the social sector and no startup or any of that. But uh, the way we do it really, Vardha, is that we have um, openly agreed for conversations with anybody who has seen our work or heard of our work and uh, wants to either come and visit or ask us to come and help us, um, we don't go in as consultants. So, let me clarify that. So, if somebody says, can you come and do a needs assessment for us? That's not something we are interested in. I mean, if somebody says, this is an area that we'd like this kind of a model of, uh, you know, integrated rural work or even for that matter, focused work. There are some uh, corporates today who want to do only work in skilling or only want to work on organic farming or only want to work with women that's fine I mean there's so much to do in India and we have models for all of this we believe that if the objective is uh, prosperity of the community then you've got to do all of this together but if somebody wants to take one focus area and work and invite us to do that we're more than happy to do it right from so it's turnkey we want to come in we want to create Uh, you know, do the feasibility, do the needs assessment and of course we would cost that because Ambuja is not going to pay for that, right? Uh, So, uh, but we've seen that it's purely partnerships. It's about growing partnerships and I believe that one of the reasons we've been able to grow this exponentially uh, is because some partners with whom we started maybe one project, today we're doing 20 projects with them. How did that happen? I think it's one serious, honest work on the ground with integrity. To data, I think corporate India and I think funders are looking for impacts. Those days are gone when, you know, people out of charity want to give you a few lakhs and say, you know, I have this extra money, so just spend it. Even if they have that extra money, they want to know what you did with it. And and rightly so. And we believed in impacts for a long time. So I think about eight years ago, we went uh, before people were, I mean, I'm sure people were talking about impacts but at least the law uh, and uh, corporate India was not talking about it so seriously. Um, It was in its infancy. Absolutely. But we went ahead and uh, spent a very large amount of time of a very senior team to develop an entire customized monitoring system of our kind of programs. And that helped us to, again, we believe that Um, monitoring cannot be done by one or two people. They can lead it, but everybody has to be able to document what they're doing. So we went out there and we trained all our field staff on how to document. So to give you an example, if if a young field officer is conducting a training of farmers and he wants to document what was the training about? How many of these farmers adopted the training? Why didn't those who did, didn't adopt it didn't? All this kind of quantitative, qualitative stuff is best done by that young field officer. Not by a person going from corporate office to do documentation because then you have missed the essence. So we trained everybody on it. So I think we've managed the data, we've managed analysis. We've got a core team which looks at monitoring and research since the last now several, several years. And I think that's one of the reasons that our partners Feel happy that we are able to give them this kind of data, show them impacts. Um, also, thanks to Ambuja, so we really were privileged. We had we wore a hat which was social sector, but we also had a very solid backing of an organisation which knew systems. So it was Ambuja which helped us with the right governance, with the right MISs very early. And so today, we are able to different funders want reports in different ways we are able to give them that so we've got integrity we've got governance we've got systems we've got impacts and I think this helps us deepen relationships with people who are already our partners and bring in newer partners as well and I I think that's really the key to it all but like I I said we are not going out there and saying oh we want uh, you know we need more funds we have just enough and more on our plate but we're very happy to work with people
0: I will quote uh, Baba Ranchordas and Punsuk uh, Vangudu of three idiots here. It's like what you've actually done is that. You've done that as an organization where you've chased Kabiliyat and Kamyabi is chasing you. So what I what I hear is three big things. One is the team, Okay. Uh, then I hear is data and data. There is a very deep point there where you've actually managed to get the DNA of data into your last mile working on it. Yes, very really different. Because I've seen, oh, yes, so I've seen organization come up with systems, MIS, but the last mile hits it. There's a lot of inertia, there's a lot of pushback in following it, right. They will do it as a, they will follow as a last resort, so you have changed that. And lastly, systems. Systems and processes that are flexible, uh, that are agile, where again the other thing that you said, you're able to give your data uh, in The context of the donor, so they may want it in another way, you're able to do that. I've seen entire organizations go helter skelter, trying to, they have the data, but how do they interpret it? That's hugely challenging. So for any, any NGOs out there that are looking to up their fundraising game and grow bigger, I think these are three huge uh, takeaways that that we can, uh, we can take from Amgucha Foundation. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, another small question that I have, this is more in the, in the space of org building uh, world, is team, on the team front. Now, I know your team, right? I have that insight of, of seeing them for so many years. Now, how do you find such talent? One, how do you train such talent? And how do you retain such talent? Anything you have to tell us on that so that uh, you know, it can really benefit?
1: But let me tell you, first of all, let me begin by saying that what we are today is thanks to those foot soldiers. It's thanks to that team on the ground. I mean, we have a phenomenal team. I mean, I, I, I'm i glad you said that and you met some of them, um, but let me say it's not easy. I mean, we've also made those errors of going to some of the best schools of, you know, development and uh, trying to bring people from there to, you know, do the right strategy. I've, I've made those mistakes 20 years ago. And let me tell you, while those people may come in with great skills, they are not the kind who we can retain in rural geographies. After a point, you know, they want to leave, they want to get back to urban. We finally decided that we're going to take people from very ordinary universities, rural universities, a rural department of social work, a rural department of rural development, agri-universities because we have so much work on agricultural livelihoods, soil and water conservationists, all from these... We, of course, I must admit, do have people from some of the um, uh, bigger universities as well, but the masses of our people come from this and then that means that we've got to groom them, train them. So there's a lot of on the job training. If need be, we send people to our other locations for orientation training. We do consistent training with so those who are working on water we do try to of course COVID stopped it a bit but we have got back and one of the things that COVID taught us that we can do so much virtually now and so we do these constant trainings where we bring external people we have our internal experts um, you know and so there's tremendous emphasis on training, training ourselves and side by side training the community members. We are very proud that today we have a model uh, in some of our uh, thrust areas where we Uh, We have a lot of what we call extension workers, field facilitators, these are young people with a BSc in agriculture, living in a village, actually working on our better cotton initiative. So, we've got a very large part of the team which is very rural, uh, may have come from a very ordinary university and has today we are able to retain them. I'm really proud that while we are about I mean as a, as a foundation we may be about 30 years old but our real work is about uh, you know 23, 24 years uh, uh, you know professional work is and the way it has grown is since then and I am so happy that uh, you know we are giving away um, long service recognition awards to people who have completed 20 years so uh, it's we do have obviously we have done something right uh, you know for us the team is really really important and I think we spend a lot on um, on that uh, on the team feeling that sense of ownership so I think yes team is not easy to find and it's not like we don't lose people we do lose them to other CSRs as well but now we are fairly resilient to that I mean we've got a very good second third fourth fifth layer and now we've started to believe that if somebody leaves it's an opportunity for somebody else to grow we also have that uh, uh, internal uh, shall I say system where we try to look at IJPs as far as possible. So, if there is a uh, an uh, internal job posting which helps the person who may not have been totally groomed for a position. Uh, we give them 6-8 mm-hmm. months with a lot of support to fit into a position if they can and only then give them that promotion but we have developed these little systems which give a sense of growth to people as well.
0: They are not little. This is the, the good devil in the detail. So, this is something really really, really important for uh, Organizations in social impact to take away saying how do you build your your organogram in a way that you know you are de-risked from from attrition, so to speak. It's it's really nice and also how do you how do you help them up along the ladder? Exactly. So everybody sees a growth. Path. Exactly. Normally people don't people leave when they see stagnation. There's nowhere to go, right? So this is really really useful. So, so Pearl, actually, you've given us so much in terms of of building, in terms of how you actually even deliver uh, what we like to call donor delight, right? It's it's uh, it's something which is why donors are. You said you started working with one donor on one project, but now you're working with them on 20, which is which is phenomenal. So many times I've heard NGOs talk about the anti-incumbency effect, right? But this is like the opposite of that. You are like donor darlings. So wonderful. Uh, I also want to understand a couple of things from you, Pearl, because the climate angle and the climate nuance to the work that you're doing is very interesting. Uh I also want to touch upon a couple of things which uh, which which we call which we feel have very high intersectionality uh in, in the work that we do. When I say intersectionality, now there may be areas which may have projects of their own, but even if not, they they literally touch. Can touch every aspect of the work that we do, and one of those that I'm hearing a lot about, other than climate change, is mental health. There is so much focus on mental health today that people are talking about not only in a social impact context, in every context. So help us understand: what, is there an importance of mental health in in rural India? Is rural India more about or still about roti, kapra, makan, and pani, or is mental health playing a role? What's what's just just unbox that for us a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, let me tell you that it's been a tremendous learning for us in the last three years. Um, okay. So, we let's take health in general. We were working on maternal and child health because that was a critical area, uh, you know, like you said well before the Ashas came into being when we had our sakis and we had tremendously high rates in some of our geographies uh, of infant mortality and maternal mortality and almost 80% children were being delivered in the homes in very unhygienic situations. We've been able to turn that around through our sakis totally. Today, we have 96-98% in institutions. The few percentages that we have at home are because they went into pre-labor or, uh, you know, they couldn't get them to a hospital or whatever it might be. Accident
0: circumstances. Exactly,
1: exactly. But uh, we, a few years ago, so let's say about four or five years ago, we actually embarked on moving with these sakhis from um, maternal and child health to non-communicable diseases because we realised and many of us have now realised no longer are hypertension and diabetes the diseases of urban India. They have hit rural India badly and there is not enough happening there on this. So when we entered NCDs, we were very sure that it's hypertension and diabetes that we would work it. Cancer looked too far away to touch. Um, Because we didn't know, It's no point telling a person, diagnosing somebody and saying there's no treatment facility for you and uh, mental health was something we thought was beyond us. But three years ago when COVID hit this land and we started Mm. more talk on mental health. Basically in India mental health is ignored. Um, You know and when we started looking at uh, yes, I mean mental health all over, suicides, not that suicides Uh, Everybody talked about suicides for farmers over the last many years so but but covid brought in a completely different dimension people lost jobs people came back there was a fear of not wanting to go back there was so mental health is a continuum it is not I mean one doesn't have to be schizophrenic to be mental health right you need mental health if you're stressed you need mental health if there's high anxiety you need mental health support if you're just these just to de-stress people and we realized We were very luckily uh, led to, when we started searching, we were led to a very good organization in Pune, uh, Mm. Centre for Mental Health and Law. And they very, very kindly looked at the model we had with Sakhi's and were willing to train our grassroots people on managing these simple mental health issues. So over this COVID first year, or maybe one and a half years, we trained about six to 700 uh, frontline people Including our health teams on basics of mental health, and we started, you know, uh, asking them to start doing these little things in the villages. and You'll we'll be surprised at what we found. I mean, today we've been able to, we've got documentation to show how there are, you know, a few tens of people who we've stopped from suicides. We haven't, these frontliners have. So yes. they had, reached, yeah, they had not only sakis, we also created because during the COVID era when everything was in lockdown we needed somebody in every village so we created what we called spox single point of contacts mm-hmm. and there were one person who had a mobile phone and uh, was able to walk around his or her village and so we were flood- mm-hmm. flooding them with uh, whatsapp messages we we, we recorded our, on our own about 255 messages which they needed to know starting from hand washing and all of that to that to moving towards uh, more serious things as covid went on and on Uh, But it was these pox who were then delivering this to all the other uh, people within the village and so these pox became our volunteers front line and we started addressing mental health. Mental health you hit the nail on the head cannot be ignored anymore and uh, you know there are absolutely interlinkages because why does mental health happen it either happens because there's a tremendous illness in the family so it's health related, it could be a livelihood loss, it could be just that you know, there's some anxiety in the family and the rest of the family doesn't know how to do it. It could be serious debt which has caused the family into, you know, now taking that last uh, mile step or whatever. So there are definite interlinkages and that is where I'm again saying, if you're looking at prosperity for a community as the, as your thing, you have to work on all of this.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. No, in fact, even I was reading something very interesting around around climate action. And it was so nice that how they basically uh, explained it was even climate change, right? Uh, the, the climate impact creates a spectrum of distress. And every single point in this spectrum of distress fans out into possible mental health issues. right? If somebody's crop has been affected, exactly, right, they are in an existential crisis. Exactly. And then it's, it's so difficult or if in coastal areas in Kerala, there, the, the fish uh, uh, migratory patterns have changed. So, they're taking their boats out, but there is no catch. Now, this person has nothing, no idea what to do. right So, so, so important. And I'm, so again, it's a testament to ACF that you're taking all this organically into your programs. And even two years ago, you suddenly incorporated it, made it part of your DNA, made it part of the programs that you do. Uh, I think, I think, superb. Uh, Case study for, for, for all of us to pick up and learn from. The the second area of intersectionality that I wanted to speak to you about was again technology. Right? Now technology is another area which has the potential to touch every single aspect of what we do and uplift it and take it to another level, make it more effective, make it more efficient, make it leaner, quicker, more impactful. So what has ACF done, uh, what's ACF's answer to for technology? What role does it play in your programs? Uh, how do you look at it? The
1: technology uh, piece I think we should have done more. Uh, we have started a little bit of work, uh, we, there is complete recognition in the team and the leadership team and all of us that technology is something which will help us to scale much further. I must admit that you know, there are startups all over us. Um, unfortunately, very often we've not been able to work at a, an appropriate price point because we always, you know, start weighing the cost of technology to the other work where the money can be spent, where we consider is better spent. But having said that, in some of our, so we're using technology for sure at the back end for all our you know all our organizational work. So of course we have technology for finance, for HR to manage all the systems that I talked about earlier. But let's take the example of skilling. Mm-hmm. You know skilling is not from our 53 villages, right? We have people coming from all over the place, and there are so many more villages we touch because of the model we have in skilling, and we have these youngsters coming in. We wanted to bring them all onto one database. We've used a very We've created a specific software which has helped us to, you know, create the necessary dashboards for other programs also. But in skilling, we have a a kind of an intranet and, uh, you know, something which we can use at our end, but also something that externals can use if they want to update their data. And, you know, ex-students, we've now got an ex-students association that we've created uh, with chapters all over India. And, you know, uh, we are managing that with technology. So, skilling vertical has definitely used technology to reach out to people. Apart from the fact that we are using the usual you know social media for uh, um, even something as simple as Facebook.
0: Yeah. In fact, I was actually, one of my questions was because you had the rare experience of working with one of India's biggest industrialists. I was going to ask you what that was like but you actually oh. answered that, I don't know, partly uh, in such a beautiful way. So, what was what, anything else? What what did, what was that like? What was Mr. Narottam Sheikh's like? And he was, he was I think uh, instrumental in bringing you to KCF and and getting you to set it up and take it off uh, the ground, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have asked for more, honestly. For me, I meandered into this corporate uh, space. I was a NGO person as I call it, you know, I I worked with, uh, no in uh, in the NGO sector, I started my career in the sector of disability and then I also taught at the Tata Institute and all of that but so I was working on that child rights and I had happened to meet him in some context and uh, when I decided um, you know at a time when I wanted to look at how corporates could really play a a bigger role in Mm -hmm. in India's development because as an NGO um, lead I always was running around for looking at the basic amount of funding that you needed to survive. Mm. I felt the corporate sector had uh, a lot of money, but we're not doing enough. Mm. And I thought, again, it was just one of those, like I'm saying, by default that I said, let me give it a shot. And I met a few uh, people in the corporate world. And luckily for me, Mr. Sexaria was one of them. He was very candid that we've set up a foundation, but I think we're doing ad hoc things and we need to formalize that a little more and uh, uh, you know, you coming from the space of having worked for 15 years in uh, NGOs if you want to really come and help do that so I started like that but working with him was a dream because besides being a visionary and you know uh, where I felt that he got it I mean he was not a development professional but if I gave him an example of why this is not Um, working, Uh, to give you an example of the which I talked to you about, the infant mortality, maternal mortality was so high and uh, all we were doing as a corporate foundation was having mobile vans to do curative work, uh, sending a doctor in uh, once in a week and I felt that wasn't working because if the van is scheduled to come on Monday and a child is got diarrhea on Friday, the family would tend to wait and it would be too long, the child would be dead by Monday and that wouldn't, uh, that's something that didn't uh, that's something that bothered us and we really wanted to you know do something about it so at that time I remember going to him and saying you know this is not working and I really want to bring in a frontline model where we can bring and I discovered an organization and foundation for uh, research in community health FRCH which really had a model of course they were a health-based so they had a Dr. Atya who was the head of things mm. we were not a health-based uh, organization but they were willing and they held our hands for 2 years till we really got the right Sakhis in place trained our first lot of Sakhis, trained master trainers and then the rest was history but this started because when I took it to Mr. Saxeria within 2 minutes he got it he said I understand that I mean I am myself from rural India and I know that you know health is a big issue for maternal and child health and if we bring it to the doorstep there is nothing better we can do we are never going to be able to get enough doctors in rural communities this is just an example and like I told you You build your confidence with a person who allows you to fail, who believes in you. He absolutely believed in me when I joined the company for the skills I brought to the table and was willing to you know uh, support me in everything I wanted. So, I think for me it was a a dream and I think we set many benchmarks in the bargain thanks to his vision and his belief in all of us. I, I couldn't have asked for a better way to start
0: my corporate career. Amazing. So so can you can you then uh do one thing for me? So you've now about two, two and a half decades of ACF, from where it was then uh to where it is now. Can you break it down into maybe three a few, maybe maybe three four broad phases, you know, which were yes, big shifts uh in the organization? What was what was that like? I hope
1: I can help you with this one. But so The beginning of the journey was clearly where I felt that we needed to move from doing a little bit of work that we were doing in one geography to every one of Ambuja's manufacturing geographies and we already had several by that time. Mm. Um, So, we had started also this whole thing of integrating and not only looking at water in one geography but bringing in women, bringing in health, looking at you know working on the agriculture piece and all of that as well and so moving it to every geography meant going to every plant and explaining this to a plant manager or a unit head Mm -hmm. and so the first phase for me was all about people not understanding what this was about um using the language of you know we are slogging our uh uh uh, at, at our plant level to make profits and you know what is this expenditure we are doing so it was always expenditure 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 i think 10 years from then uh that entire language changed to this is our best investment. So from expenditure to investment to me that was a very big one in the first place. Um, If you asked any of the unit heads who worked uh, you know with us in those years, they would all tell you how you know because of the sincere work communities started believing in us so much. And again, the word we use today, the phrase we use today is license to operate, right? <laughs> in those days, we said winning the goodwill. It wasn't just goodwill. It was really wanting you to be in that geography. So, you know, you must be aware, Varda, that in India, in the manufacturing industry, when you're setting up a greenfield or a brownfield project, uh, there is a very unnerving process called the public hearing, which a lot of uh, corporates, are a little wary about because, you know, sometimes you have unscrupulous, uh, you know, uh, environmental activists or uh, local people, who politicians, somebody who wants their pound of flesh who comes in there to that public hearing, which is called by the collector, makes very negative comments, mm-hmm. the collector hears those. For us, over a period of time, all we had to do when there was an expansion of a plant or a new plant was to tell our people that, you know, there is this public hearing in the collectorate and we'd like you to be there. Mm-hmm. And we've had Amazing experiences where, uh, you know, somebody would bring in a point saying, oh, cement means very dust, a lot mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. dust, it'll be a dusty plant, your cropping will go, and you'd have a whole bunch of people saying nonsense, come to our villages and see, <laughs> we've got water, it's not there in the neighborhood. And but this they, is community, I
0: mean, this is community. This is
1: all community, all community. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to manage community, you just have to bring them there and they speak for you. And... That doesn't happen if you're not. So we've really coexisted, I would say, <laughs> with the community. So I think that was the first phase of, I would say, um, you know, moving from, like I said, expenditure to investments. The second was, I would say, when we first made that transition and we became a wholesome uh, company, <laughs> where the whole concept of CSR in the West is so different. Their whole thinking was that this is philanthropy, this is not CSR and convincing the boardroom again with the full support of Mr. Saxaria, some of our senior whole time directors, we had Mr. Kapoor in those days, we had our Mr. Neotia who was the chairman at that time, another, uh, you know, uh, founder along with Mr. Saxaria. These were people who stood with me in the boardroom every time I talked to the uh, the foreigner directors you know about why we are doing what we are doing mm-hmm. and it was very very interesting I remember we had a very nice person who was in uh, the whole sim in charge of um, uh, the entire Asia-Pacific region Mr. Paul Dobler. we started with these discussions with him but he became a complete believer later of, uh, of uh, you know what we were doing and how this was really good quality um, CSR and I've had so many instances where I've been in meetings in Wholesome, sometimes in Zurich, sometimes here, uh, sometimes in other parts of this region, where they've talked about us as their best case uh, in CSR. You know, So, so that was another very big move of, you know, working with the boardroom, working with directors. I think it was good that the law came into being and brought CSR into the boardroom, but we had already had that experience by that time. And then if I had to bring the third piece, it would be the year 15, 16, when we started seeing that uh, corporates were now faced with this law, Mm -hmm. they didn't know how to go about it. Some were um, happy with the NGOs, some were happy with the work of the NGOs, but were not happy with the way the audits were going, the impacts were coming, Um, you know, and we saw merit in extending ourselves and again there we had a discussion in our board, in the foundation board and of course also in the company board where both the boards agreed that we could go beyond Ambuja's geographies mm. if people wanted us to work with them and I think partnerships grew from then on yeah oh. I'm just fortunate to have worked with this company for so long.
0: And That's so nice so what, what I'm hearing if I have to summarize uh, is so first 10 years were really about bringing together aligning divergent stakeholders, both internal in the organization and from the community. Then there was a period of about half a decade where they were rallying behind you, whether in the boardroom, whether in the community, they were rallying behind you. And then it actually became about, now you diversify. Doesn't matter if business is not there, if somebody has a need and a desire for you to come, go. So it was actually spreading your footprint beyond where you were uh, located as a business. So, that's that's actually so amazing. Uh, so, Pearl, a question for you. Now, this is this is time for advice and for shout outs. So, if you had to give one advice to a 25-year-old first jobber, second jobber, who's considering okay. uh, a, a career in the social impact sector today, yeah. what would you yeah. advise? First of all, I would say that it's a beautiful sector to be in. Okay. There's never a boring
1: day because there's just so much to do in India so if you're serious about this and if you're wanting to you know pick up the right skills and do it right just go for it I mean there's so much variety and I think the people use the word uh, feeling good and satisfaction but I think uh, it's far beyond that it gives you a sense of pride of having played a small part in the development of the country Hmm. You know, I'm talking of course, in my context, <laughs> it would be different for different areas of uh, uh, of uh, development. But yes, it gives you and like I'd say, there is never a boring day. I've had so many people ask me, you've been in the sector, haven't you got bored? Because I've been now in the sector for like 37 years, so haven't you got bored? And I always say, but there's no way to get bored. Today, you're looking at water tomorrow. you I knew nothing about water and agro-based work. But it's thanks to fantastic teams and experts that I've got on, on the ground that I learned with them. Learning, of course, for everyone continues through life. But I think there's just so much to do that there's never a boring day. So this is what I would tell a hamster.
0: Wow. And tell us something, so you also Ambuja is a very unique organization, right? So you are a CSR. Who first started, I guess, deploying their own funds, you hit that ceiling, you exhausted, you broke that ceiling, and now you have so many people partnering with you, working with you, uh, and and trusting you with their funds to deploy it in the best way way possible. So so tell us, uh top of the mind, who would be two donor partners who who are who you find a real joy to work with, who are, who are really amazing and why?
1: Actually, it's very very difficult to name one or two. I'll tell you why. So, we have been able to strike a very good relationship with NABAD. Now, NABAD is a bank for agriculture Mm. and rural development. Their job is that. They need to deploy their money in the right spaces. But obviously, they're looking for people who can give impacts, who can work with integrity, Mm. who can do all of that. And so, I think again there, we started with a very small Uh, project of Wadi here or a small SAG support there. But today, I think at any point in time, we have 35-37 projects going with Nabad, whether they are in watershed, whether they are with uh, micro-enterprises. So, you know, I think that Nabad, we enjoy working with them because that's their job. And if we can make them also Mm -hmm. deploy their funds right with us implementing, that's something that we feel very, very good about. Another one, Uh, And there are many and, you know, calling out names, actually the danger is that you may leave out somebody very important, but the one I was talking about where we started with one project and uh, they obviously did their due diligence, they got into the depths of what we do, um, felt us as partners, tried us and have then moved towards doing so many, so many projects across so many geographies is HDFC Bank. They have many partners, but we work with them and we love uh, the fact that they really want to do um, good amount of uh, rural development, which is what we are married to. We want to do rural development, we do not want to spread ourselves thin when somebody calls us to do a health project or something in an urban community, we don't really mm-hmm. take it up because that's not where our expertise is and that's not, uh, I mean there's just so much to do in rural already. Uh, HDFC bank has two types of it. So they've understood from this cluster approach that we do where you take 10-20 villages and you do everything there so that you bring uh, a transformation there. On the other hand, they also have focused projects where they only want to do a skilling centre or they only want to do a 10,000 farmers or women. Mm. And we take up both those types of projects. We learn a lot through people like them because they have solid processes also in place. Mm. They um, make us accountable, question us and uh, it helps us to strengthen our uh, uh, this thing as well um, then water is not everybody's not everyone's looking at water unfortunately even today I believe that more, um, corporates want to work on other trusts but the minute you talk about water because water needs a lot of uh, funding hmm. you know because uh, infrastructure is a big part behavior change, yeah exactly it's infrastructure hmm. and but it can be a game changer and not everyone understands that, yeah. but Hinduja Foundation has a, a, thru, a big trust on water. So we're doing a lot of work with them on water and that delights us that you know, mm. there's a partner who thinks like us on water. Mm. But then, there are many, I mean in skilling, there are many who come mm. forward as well. So like I'm saying, there are there are many good partners that we've had, but these are some of those that I would call out for uh,
0: specifics. Wonderful. And, and one thing that I got out from there, which is a real, again, a divergent point of view. Is that you actually seem to welcome compliance? You seem to welcome processes that donors have, and and yeah. you see it as something that makes you more accountable. Which I think is a wonderful point of view to have, because I've seen a lot of NGOs really struggle with compliance. It's the big bad word that they feel is somehow uh, non-compassionate and, and things like that. I've heard that from from uh, people on on the social sector side. But it's so nice that you take this other point of view. That listen, we're it, it just makes us more, put more rigor into, into what we're doing, into our accountability and showcasing that the right way. So, yes, please.
1: And, and this Varda is not recent. It's not because of partners. I mean, I must say, in fact, I'm happy to call out. We have had, I mean, one of the reasons that I believe and many of us believe that Ambuja Cement as a company had the kind of governance and the hmm. integrity that it's, it's known for is because we had somebody initially a company secretary then a director in the company Mr. Taparia, mm-hmm. Mr. B.L. Taparia He has been on our board for a very long time, the foundation board right. and from very early days from the rules I set up for uh, you know our service rules for our team to the kind of you know when we started moving from one geography to three to five to whatever of Ambuja's geographies He was con- making me conscious all the time that we mm-hmm. want to put systems in place We want to, and a lot of our people internally both in the foundation as well as in the company, did not understand why for a development arm we needed to put in this many mm. practices mm. of governance. But today, now they you know. know we, we are not dependent on the secretarial of the company. We are not dependent on the finance of the company. We've strengthened ourselves because of his input and today that has worked wonders. So, you know, even earlier you were saying that, uh, you know, I made a comment and you said this is also good for new NGOs which are starting. Mm. I would tell new NGOs, I mean, you know, I don't know whether it's putting it simplistically, but I would say there are three eyes that you should keep in mind. Okay. Yeah, one is your intent. Mm-hmm. Don't run behind funds. You have started with an objective, let the fund come after you. I mean, don't change and meander away because the fund is available for something else. Mm-hmm. This is a mistake I have myself made in the past in an NGO and I can tell you that it's better to if you have got your intent right, mm-hmm. either you got a question if the funders are not coming away that something is wrong with your objectives mm-hmm. or chase your own intent so that's one. Mm-hmm. The second one is don't do anything without integrity. Mm-hmm. The, the world is watching, communities are watching, uh, your people internally are watching We are in development. We are trustees of other people's money. Integrity, financial integrity, behavior integrity is a zero tolerance thing in Ambuja Foundation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sad, but there have been times when I've had to let people go because of integrity issues. Mm -hmm. It's very few. Over Mm -hmm. my 20 years, 23 years, it may have happened two or three times, but it doesn't make you feel good. But you cannot compromise integrity. Mm -hmm. And the third I would say is impacts. Hmm. Nobody is going to love you because you sold a great idea to them. Hmm. They may buy it for a while, but if you don't show the impacts, it's going to fizzle away. So I think that these three things is what we try to do very sincerely in in Ambuja, and I think that's what really takes us.
0: Wonderful intent, integrity, and impact. I am going to write that down somewhere. That's that's <laughs> superb. I think that's that's a good maha mantra for for anybody looking to. Um,
1: I don't
0: know that, but that's my mantra for sure. <laughs> awesome. Pearl, well, uh, not for anything but lack of time. I know you are on a tight schedule. So uh, I'd I just like to, at this point, uh, really, really, really thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for coming on board uh, and sharing such wonderful insights uh, and, and nuggets of wisdom with us. Honestly, I could do this for another hour, but... Uh, <laughs> But but we will we will pause here. Thank you so much, Pearl. This was you were the most you were the kindest, most gracious uh, guest. Uh, thank you for coming and, and doing this and launching DevX uh, with us and, and for us.
1: Thank you, Arda. Don't say all these things. I I get embarrassed. But thank you for having me here and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as well. So thank you very much.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Pearl. You have a wonderful day. Yeah. And we'll catch up soon. E que